And welcome, folks, to Make Mind Multiversity, a Marvel podcast. My name is Kevin Gregory, and we're excited to have you with us today. This will be a little, little bit of a different episode. For this first part of the episode, I'm talking with Jess about some current Marvel news, and then we're going to talk a little bit about um, Jessica Jones and review the the first few issues of um, of Alias from, from uh, Marvel's uh, Max line, where Jessica Jones debuted. And in the second part of the episode, we'll be talking to Nick, and we'll be talking about some other stuff, and we'll get there. Um, but Jess, how are you doing today? I'm good. Lots of snow outside, but other than that, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you're saying you're like completely snowed in to your apartment, like completely. Yeah, like if it would be a pain to go outside, <laughs> it would be a pain. Um, I know the whole porch is covered, and it's cold, so I'm stuck in here. That sucks. That sucks. Well, we got we got some fun nerd shit to to talk about. Maybe that'll distract you a little bit. For sure. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, so um, in the last couple of weeks, I've had a handful of uh, new newsy kinds of things. Um, the first little bit we're going to talk about is so uh, writer, writer, artist, uh, Chip Zdarsky signed an exclusive deal with, uh, with Marvel. Um, it was funny. He like posted on on Twitter right after this because people were asking him if uh, his other his other series that he does the art on uh, sex criminals at, at Image if that was like ending or going away. Um, and like it has, it's had a planned in for a while, but he's like, no, Marvel only only signed my uh, my writing hand, not my not my uh, my art hand. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so Zdarsky's been been on. Uh, uh, the spectacular Spider-Man, and then he's been doing Marvel two and one since uh, since Legacy started. Um, but uh, but Jess, what do you think about Zdarsky being being a Marvel now for 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 Ebbs? I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I like him. I think he's a really nice guy, and he's very funny. Um, I don't actually own much original art, but like I own a Jughead sketch from him. So <laughs> um, oh yeah. wow, that's cool. Yeah, I think I own like two pieces. And one of them is is a Jughead sketch I got last year at Comic Con. So he and he's he's so funny and he's he's a very I think he's a good writer. I think his I think he knows what he's good at and he does that with Marvel Toon One and the Spider Man series. He he knows what he's good at and he does it and he doesn't try to do anything too wild or unexpected from him. He's he's consistently good. I think he's I think his writing is very funny. Um, I fell off Sex Criminals because I just became really uh, disinterested in the story. But his Marvel stuff to me has been really solid. I loved Howard the Duck. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have I fell off Sex Criminals too. I think I read like the the first two trades and and haven't gone back to it. Um, yeah, no, I think I think you're totally right. Like he's he's really funny. I love like I love just how he goes back and forth with with uh, with creators on Twitter, like uh, like Bendis um, and like Jamie McKelvey and like others where they just like trash him. Um, like there's like that ongoing thing where like didn't like Mark Wade like steal one of his awards or something. Yeah, I think um, it was like his Ringo Award. I think it is, and he something some, like it was that. One of, it's one of the smaller awards, and he took it, and and I don't think he has it back. <laughs> I don't yeah I think you're right um but yeah like he just seems like it's it's good to hear and it's good to be reminded that like these people that we really like that we like their work like that they're real people and they're some of them some of them are nice and some of them, like some of them are are genuine people even in person um and, and comics is like a small enough community that 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 happens more often than not um 
Yeah, I think like, I, I haven't read Howard the Duck yet. Like, I think that's one of the things that I, I want to, that's on my list of things to get to. But, um, but it's like his spectacular Spider-Man stuff that he's been doing lately. And then like Marvel 2 and 1, I think have been um, like some of the gems of, of like the recent relaunches. Like I, uh, I really like Marvel 2 and 1. And I think, I think you're right. Like he writes like humor, like he writes, um, like he speaks to his strengths, but like, yeah, like he never, he hasn't tackled anything that's like super, super crazy or super just like, like everything like seems very down to earth and like very genuine. And I think, uh, like, I think, yeah, it's been, it's all been good stuff. So I'm excited for this. I'm excited for more, more things. They announced like with his exclusive that both of those series are getting annuals. Like the, the Spider-Man one's getting an annual with art, art by Mike Allred. And then Marl Toon one's getting an annual with uh, Declan Shalvey doing, doing the art for that, which both of those are, are great artists and, so those should be fun. One to pick of up. the one of the funniest things is that I don't think he realizes how famous he is, like at least in the world of comics, because last year at Comic Con he was there all four days. He had a regular table in Artist Alley. I think he like sold out of everything he brought with him like the first day. And then he was he was uh posting on his Tumblr a few times saying, you know, if you get there in the morning, he has a certain amount of uh of paper that he brought with him for for sketches and whatnot and it and it was like really cheap like i was like wait you're chip zadarsky like (laughs) like, do you know that you could be charging way more like he was i think he was charging like 30 bucks for a sketch and we're like wait what and yeah so like i got there um the last day that was the day he said he whatever he had was it for like the weekend and i think that was like the saturday of Mm comic-con and like i got there the moment the doors open and when I got down to Artist Alley, he already had like this massive line of people. Oh, wow. Like it, it was it was very it reminded me a lot of what the table is like for um uh Team Wictive, uh Gillen, McKelvey and Wilson when they would do they don't they don't do it anymore, but mm-hmm. they would do um Artist Alley and Comic Con and they at New York Comic Con and they had a table in the corner because their line became like crazy long it was like you were there for like maybe 45 minutes to an hour depending on how late you got there waiting and then it was like they were only going to be there for a certain amount of time but like Zadarsky was there the whole day but his line never shortened and I'm like oh, do wow. you know that you're like famous now <laughs> like <laughs> but it was nice because he really like took time to talk with everybody when he was doing the sketches and it was fun I have a I have a uh, brooding uh, stupid, sexy Jughead from him <laughs> because I love R- Riverdale's my favorite show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was like, I'm not gonna not have Chip Zdarsky draw me a brooding, sexy Jughead. Like, yeah. of course, that's what I'm gonna have him draw. So, because well, he was he was writing the like the Jughead book for Archie Comics, wasn't he? Like the he was for a while. I think he did okay. like the first like two full trades of it, and. Um, I don't remember who's writing it now, but I know I read the first trade of that and I thought that was really funny. I, th- I thought it was very mm-hmm. funny. It's not like Riverdale yeah. Jughead, but it's very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like, I think this is a whole other side note thing. Like I've been reading the like the Archie relaunch that like Mark Wade's been writing like since it started and like and they've had like a ton of great artists and like, like Fiona Staples was like on it at the beginning. Like I think I'm like constant, I like... I find that at like the bottom of my pile, um, like every month, like when I like get my comics and then like, it like sits there and, and I'm just now like this week I've, I've had some time and I, f- I finally, I finally got into the year 2018 in my like stack of comics that are, that are unread, but like, nice. I've, it's so, it's so bad. It's so bad. 
Um, but like I, I'll hit, I'll hit the, like the Archie issue every once in a while. And it's just like a, always a pleasant, like fun thing to, to read. It's like all that stuff is, is really good. Um, but that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing where, like what he does next. Like I'm thinking, um, like Marvel two and one has to end at some point. Like if we, the, the solicits for, for June came out, um, this last week hated reading all of that i need to stop reading solicits but um but marvel <laughs> it's just a oh it's a poor, poor horrible enterprise um but uh it got a it got a seventh issue so like it's it's in its second arc now um and i forget who's doing the art on this second arc it's not uh valeria she because he's relaunching pickle rick tony stark with slot um <laughs> uh good god um yeah, did you see like the solicit for that? So okay, this is a whole other tangent. There's like that solicit, and then like at, under it, there's like just like a list of um, it's like twenty variant covers or something, and they're all uh, like different um, different armors or whatever. Like that Tony Stark has because like the premise of slots run apparently is that like Tony's gonna have like an armor for every occasion or whatever else. Um, but there's just like these 20 variant covers that I guess are like even it's probably more than that that just like have different artists like renditions of um, like armors that like Tony's worn over the years and I'm like this is an excessive amount of variant covers but that's a whole other oh that's, that's nothing other- that's nothing because like uh, Dynamite for like every book no matter what there's like 10 covers and it usually and like I guess this is kind of shady but like they're usually just the same kind of super sexy pinup thing but somebody else drew it. <laughs> I just, I don't get what the, like what the allure of having, of like spending $50 on, on it, like on a bunch of different covers is like, there are some variant covers like that I've bought because um, I mean, like they've been like two ninety nine or like three on it. Like they've been like, like just like the, the second cover on a book. Um, and like, I've really liked the variant cover artists. Like a lot of like when rebirth started and uh, like, Jenny Jenny Friesen was doing all the has been doing all the covers for Wonder Woman. Like I bought those for a long time because I thought that they were all really beautiful. Um, and like there was, I think like Ivan Race was doing um, like the variants for Nightwing, and I bought some of those because they just like they were just like cool cool images. But I wouldn't I wouldn't pay like ten fifty. I wouldn't even pay like ten fifteen dollars probably for for a variant cover. I don't think, but maybe I'm doing it wrong. No, same. I mean, I've only bought variants if if it's basically just an alternative cover. Like, I buy the WWE comic every month, and they usually put out a couple covers, but it's mostly just, like, alternate covers. So it's basically the same price. It's just which cover do you prefer. So then I might get the, like, the B cover because I'm like, well, I like that wrestler more than this one, so I'd rather have that cover. So I'll do that. Like, I'll buy one or the other, but I, I think... I maybe ever have bought an expensive variant maybe once. And and that was only because I bought a Adam Hughes Harley Quinn cover for ten dollars because oh, yeah. the the comic book store that I was working at was closing down and it was the only one and ended up buying it and ended up selling it for seventy five dollars. So oh, wow. yeah, I I uh, apparently Adam Hughes is very popular on the resale market. I didn't know that. 
now I do. Now so, you do, yeah. Yeah, so I ended up like selling it. I wasn't like super attached to it. I was like, if I'm going to make a $65 profit, I'm not going to keep it. That's stupid. So yeah. Yeah. Um, that that's probably the maybe one of two times I've spent money on a variant. I, I maybe have bought some an exclusive at like Comic-Con or something, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I've bought... I guess that's not true. I've paid because like uh, like Midtown Comics, um, like their online website, like they'll have they'll have signings and then um, they'll have like extra books that those creators have signed that they'll put on like for the next week or whatever. So like I bought, oh yeah, yeah. I bought a um, like the the Batman Rebirth issue um, that James Tynan the Fourth signed, and I bought the like the Batman number one that that Tom King signed. I think I paid like ten or fifteen dollars for for both of those. Um, but I bought the Super Sons one that was like that to Peter Tomasti signed it. I only had to pay three bucks for it, which was great. But, and now I would, Tom King's Batman is, that's a whole, this is not that podcast. But, um, but yeah, no, I think variants solicits. Um, yeah, like it's cool that two ones getting a, a second arc. I'm wondering like where, like where Zdarsky ends up after this. Cause like, obviously that's leading to a new like Fantastic Four relaunch. So I'm wondering, like if Zdarsky will be the one to get to write that. Um, and I'm also curious, like how long spectacular Spider-Man lasts, especially with uh, like moving into this new, like fresh start era and like amazing Spider-Man getting a new number one. Um, yeah. And I'm curious what you, what you think about that? Um, I mean, if I were running Marvel, I would have just given Zdarsky Spider-Man anyway, but I'm not running Marvel. So, right, right. You know, um, I would have given him Spider-Man. And I think if you can't get, um, if you're not going to be able to get like a big epic from uh, someone like Jonathan Hickman or even Jason Aaron, if you're not going to get that, you might as well go for something more um, fun and still cosmic with uh, Fantastic Four by having Zdarsky write that. I think he'd be a really good fit. He's not going to give you, like, Jonathan Hickman, Secret Wars-level Fantastic Four, like, huge drama, and he's not going to give you a huge epic like a Jason Aaron would, but I think he'd give you uh, a Fantastic Four that you would rather have, I think. Because I always always think of the Fantastic Four as, as this, like, adventuring family who's really close... And is just having a good time discovering things. And right, that, to right. me, leans a little on the comedic side. So I would kind of rather have that than the big epic. So I hope that if, you know, when they do have the Fantastic Four come back, I hope he's, I hope he's writing it. I think he'd do a really good job with that. Yeah, I think you, I think you would. And I, I think, um, I think, like, because he's been telling the same like long-term story on, on spectacular Spider-Man since it, um, since it launched. Cause like he's telling this whole story about, about Peter having, um, having his, like his sister back. I'm doing air quotes. I don't know why I'm doing air quotes like with my fingers right now, because this is <laughs> nobody, nobody can, uh, can see me doing this. Um, and so, yeah, like he's been telling this long story about that and about like Peter's relationship with like J. Jonah Jameson and all this. Um, and like that feels like something that's like intentional and like planned out and like it like has like a you know true like long form kind of thing, but like it's still like fun and not like not like long form in the sense you're right that like like Hickman's um like I haven't read his Fantastic Four run. 
I need to do that. That's like high, high on my it's, list of things. It's that I need very to do. much all about um, Reed Richards uh, kind of godlike hangups and then Johnny Storm's death. That that's to, like, I read that when it was coming out. That was one of the first, um, when I was still working at a comic book store when that was coming out. And that was one of the books that I was finally getting into on my own. And that's basically what it boiled down to was those two things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like a lot of what his Avengers run too was about was like the, like the Avengers going like universal and like the Illuminati, like getting it over, over their heads that like, we need to, we need to be like earth's like multiversal protectors and be all secretive and like be gods and, and whatever else, which I was really into, um, which is why I, I, I really, I really do want to read his fantastic four. So, um, but like, that's a different kind of like long-term story than like what you'd get from Zdarsky. But I think you're right. Like, I think a good, a good, like fun fantastic four book would be something like that. Like something like he, he could do and something he could deliver. Um, so yeah, cool. Uh, well, moving, moving right along into our, uh, to our next piece of news. And, and, and Jess, I'm sure you have a, a, a strong reaction to this one. So um, strong. <laughs> So, uh, Marvel ha- announced the next of its, uh, its fresh start titles coming out in July is, um, uh, X 23 starring, you know, starring Laura Kinney. She's, uh, reverting from being called Wolverine back to being called, uh, to X 23. Uh, Tom Taylor is, is ending his, uh, his two year run with character. And, uh, the, the new creative team is, uh, Mark Otomaki, uh, who's writing She-Hulk and then Juan Cabal, who's the artist, uh, currently on all new Wolverine is sticking around. Um, and it's coming out in July. So, so Jess, why don't you, uh, why you, why you just lay it on, lay it on our <laughs> listeners? Uh, I'm so sorry, listeners. Um, so like the thing about this is that it's just like the most major step back for a character that I can remember in like the last few years There, it's not even from just it's not even based off of just what Tom Taylor does has done on All New Wolverine. It's it's a it's basically this massive story arc that happened for her from like Avengers Arena all the way to now. Like they've everyone who's come in since Avengers Arena has really done things to try to take her even further because her entire creation was just she's a clone of Wolverine. She's sad but she's also murdery and can't control herself. So everyone has come in and has said, well, what if we give her personal relationships? What if we give her a boyfriend? What if we give her friends? What if we put her in a situation where killing is not the thing she needs to do? It's not going to help her. And for them to now, for Marvel to now say, Hey, well, we're going to take her back to being X 23. And we're going to also put her back in her old cheesy uniform. It's just like, it's such a massive step back because even her uniform and I'm not um, a reader who has particular squabbles against showing skin and whatnot. It's not, it usually it's not a huge deal for me, but her original costume was so reflective of like who her person, what her personality was. It was very uncontrolled, unsure and very reckless. And so she would wear like this ridiculous, like, half top because she didn't know any better she was still learning the world and learning who she was and so every look she's had has taken 
uh, steps further to kind of fully form this character and make her more than just a clone and, ma- and instead it's made her a person um, and then you have Tom Taylor's run which has given her basically a family I mean she's Gabby's mom basically um, you know she she is her mom and yeah. and she's yeah. taken over a mantle of Wolverine that she's helped redefine and so for them to say well yeah we're going to take that away from her now and we're just going to let Logan be Wolverine again and stab everything and and kill recklessly because that's what we do now. It's so messed up to the character. And she really does deserve better. And, and it's hard for me to be so critical of it because I like uh, Mariko Tamaki a lot. Um, I read about, I'm about halfway through her Hulk run, her She-Hulk run, and I really think she's doing some really interesting things with, with Jen and um, PTSD and her having a hard time controlling the monster within. I, I think she's done some really interesting things with that. And I kind of, I just wish that she was coming into the series taking over for what Tom Taylor has written. Um, because that to me would be way more interesting. It's it's really sad because she they really Tom Taylor really has redefined what being Wolverine is, and it's a shame. It really is sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I think so. So a couple things. Um, so I haven't read any uh, prior uh, Laura stuff, but I've been I've read all of Tom Tom Taylor's. Uh, run on all new Wolverine. And it's, it's been one of my favorite books that Marvel's been putting out for the last two years. Um, and I think you're right. Like Taylor said something with, with that character and with the, the idea of what Wolverine is and in a way that, uh, I guess like hasn't been, hasn't been done or, or I don't even, I haven't read a lot of, a lot of Wolverine comics, I guess very intentionally. Cause he kind of seems like the it man for, for Marvel and, um, and just like, he's the, he's the character that shows that he's like the suicide squad of, of, of Marvel comics, basically just like, mm-hmm. got to show up everything and have like mm-hmm. brand recognition, whatever. Um, but, but Taylor said something really cool with, with Laura and like, he's taking, like he's taking the idea of Wolverine and like this, that like, you have to be this destructive force and like turn it into, um, like something just like very, like very emotional and very like caring and very like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn this around and turn it into, into into something more beautiful and something more more constructive. Like you're right. Like Laura has has taken has taken Gabby. Like has taken a, a another clone of Wolverine and has like nurtured this character into into someone who uh, who's like not like she was. Who's not like she's been. Who wasn't like Logan was. Like isn't super like destructive and and killy um, yeah. and all this. And like that's something that's really beautiful. Um, and I'm happy that he's going to be still writing them in X-Men red like that, that's going to be a good thing, but you're right. Like, I think the, the name change and like the costume change, like it seems really regressive. Like if they're going to bring, if they're going to bring Logan back, if they're going to bring Wolverine back, fine. Uh, Because we all knew that was going to happen eventually. Yeah. But like Laura could still be Wolverine. Um, Like there are multiple, there are multiple flashes in the DC universe. Like Marvel's just gone through a period of having multiple Captain Americas and like they have multiple Spider-Mans. Um, like she could still have the name Wolverine, uh, or like they could give her a, a different code name. That's not, that's not this, this, uh, this name that like is synonymous with this period of her life that the character's not still in. Like, I don't know how you can be an editor at Marvel and look at, um, specifically the orphan of X, uh, storyline and say, yes, 
we need to take away Laura being Wolverine and let her go back to X-23 and let her be stabby again. Like, that entire story arc is all about how her past as a weapon was destructive and it ruined lives. It ruined lives to the point where there's an entire cult that wants to kill her. (laughs) Right, right. She's taken on like so much of that guilt and pain from those other people and has gone out of her way to punish the people at the top who are the reason any of this pain and suffering happened. Her entire storyline from the first issue of All New Wolverine to the last, and then even in um, right before Bendis left the X-Men books, it was it was touched upon a little bit there through her relationship with um, with a time-displaced angel. She doesn't want... Love that you have to say yeah. time-displaced. It's, like... it's, it's so dumb, but yeah. <laughs> it's so dumb. But no. she has really tried to embrace a a version of herself that doesn't just kill people indiscriminately which is really what I mean Wolverine everyone likes Wolverine he's cool whatever but like as far as being a superhero goes he's, he's really bad at it and he just kills people because it, they're in the way like that's what he does he's I guess the best at what he does and what he does is very nice and it's stupid and <laughs> and she's taken after his death she took on the role of being Wolverine and really just said well, we're going to do things differently. There were issues where a uh, part of the storyline in the beginning before the big arc took over where she was trying to rescue women from human trafficking. Um, she took over uh, being guardian of Gabby and teaching her a different way of being. Like, they didn't take away the ferocity of, of Laura, but they added a layer to her that made her way more interesting than what she was when she started. And so I'm just, I'm really concerned that by putting her back in her gray and black costume and putting her back at her old code name, I just feel like you're erasing years of character development that you don't get to see a lot in Marvel and DC. So it's just like, who is this helping? Who are you doing this for? Are you doing this for the fans who like to shout down at every single change that's ever done? Um, because that's messed up if you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and it doesn't even make sense, I guess, from like a to me. This is a thought that I just had. Like, it doesn't make sense from like a like a brand recognition standpoint. Um, like I just looked. Uh, like all the Wolverines in the like top hundred comics uh, of February, like probably has been in the top hundred like in the last two years. Um, like it's you know it's in the it's in the the bottom bottom half, but like. Still, like there are a lot of comics that come out every month, so like that's a that's a big deal to be to be at the top, and like to take the name of the comic back from something that has Wolverine in the name to something that has like to to X twenty three to maybe to like to name that maybe new readers don't know. Um, like I think probably as somebody who has never like read comics before, they sort of have an idea of who Wolverine is, or like they they'll watch X Men movies and be like, oh yeah, Wolverine, and then they like might go look for a Wolverine comic and they could see this and like, then maybe pick this up. But like, if you just see X 23, like that seems like a, a name that you wouldn't pick up unless you really know who that character is. Um, so it seems, it seems like regressive really in every, in every form. Um, and that's not like, that's not a knock on, on Mark Atomiki. Cause like she's written a lot of things that I have particularly enjoyed 
Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the like Hulk, Hulk, she Hulk stuff, but the, uh, like the Supergirl being super stuff at DC and then like some of her. Oh, that was such um, a good like, miniseries. That was really good. It was. It was. A beautiful Joel Jones art. Um, I just like some of her, her indie stuff has been super great. Like she writes, um, she writes like young persons really well. Uh, and so like, I think that she could totally write a good Laura, like theoretically, but to have her like, to have this sort of like editorial mandated, we have to go back to her being X 23 seems derivative. And it's like, she said in her, her interview, like announcing the series that like Gabby and, um, and Jonathan, Jonathan, the Wolverine the are not, are not going away from the best pet ever. Um, like they're not going away. And it's like that, that gives me some, like some hope maybe that like the series won't be a, a dark mess. Um, but I am sort of frustrated that like, it seems like Marvel's taking the wrong, the wrong lessons from, from legacy and from Marvel now 2.0. Um, like it's not that people don't want these legacy characters. It's not that people don't want these, um, these characters to take over formal mantles. It's not that people don't want to read comics that have, that have women or have persons of color or have queer characters in them. It's just that there are, there is a certain subset of people that want to read the comics that always have the white male characters in them. And like, there's still the people that will always read those other books. Like those, those people are not going away and are probably like the the growing readership of people that you're going to need to be catering to for the next like five to 10 years. Um, excuse me. So I just, yeah, I don't, I don't get this. And even as um, I really, I, I'm obviously a big X-Men fan, but like, even when I refer to her, I never call her X-23. At least I haven't in a while. Like I'll call her Laura Kinney because the X-23 code name right, was right. given to her when she was just nothing but more than a living weapon. So it's like, even if the story you're telling doesn't reflect that anymore, it's still like, could you come up with a different name though? Because it, it has been like people have real writers and artists have gone out of their way to really add something more to this character than what her original purpose was. Cause I don't think a lot of people realize, but she originated on the X-Men evolution cartoon. Um, so she's kind of, I, right, I don't know what right. it is with me and like characters that originate in cartoons, but like, I feel very protective over her. Like I do of Harley Quinn and it's really weird <laughs> because it's like, they've all like these characters have gone above and beyond what they initially were intended to be. We have Harley Quinn, who's now um, very Fourth much like... This Trinity, baby. Yeah, I mean, she's very much like not like just Joker's girlfriend anymore. Like, she's she's a completely crazy character that, if you don't like her, I get it. It's She's she's kind of... She's, she's a little outside the box. Veer's on a little bit of Deadpool. I get it. But, like, X-23 yeah, yeah. is a character that they've that writers have come in and really done some really great work with taking her past just being a living weapon and using that code name just feels so insulting to the character. It's like, that's not who she is anymore. I mean, give her, I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't come up with a name for her. I'm not very creative, but if she's not going to be Wolverine, then maybe we should give, get together and kind of come up with a different code name for her because I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like we are going to get an older classic costume, but I hope that Tamaki is coming in and she's going to say, yeah, well, 
in I mean the best case scenario, she's going to continue what uh, Taylor and his various collaborators have done on All New Wolverine, but they're just changing the name of the book because Logan's coming back and is starring in his own series. I would like to see her get a different code name, though. I I think. The story that Tom Taylor told, it makes absolutely no sense for her to go back to that code name. It makes no sense. It's it's so regressive for her. So I just, I don't know. I just would like to see her get a different code name, even if Tamaki is going to continue the story that Taylor has been telling. It's just the branding of it. I get it, but I really wish they would come up with a different name at the very least. Yeah, or even just like title the book um, Laura Kinney. Like that doesn't even... I think that would be fine too. Like even if they didn't come, if, it, if even if they came up with it sure. out of nowhere and, uh, and like didn't want to title a book that because they thought it wouldn't sell because it's a, a book that's like, it's a book that people are like, Oh, I've never heard of blah, 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 blah. Um, people, I mean, people know who Laura Kinney is, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I think, I think this kind of begs the question, uh, is this, is this like a, a full regression for like the X-Men franchise. Cause I think, um, and you, and you're the best person to ask about this, you know, cause we got, we got X-Men gold soon. That's like getting us to where Kitty and Colossus are going to be married. And we kind of, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Phoenix and X-Men red, like it feels like the, the X-Men franchise is kind of moving into this like nineties nostalgia mode of, we just have to make everything, make everything like it was. And maybe that's some of what motivated this move. Like, oh, if we make our X-23 again, it'll be just like the 90s or it'll be just like the early 2000s when X-Men Evolution was on. Um, or was it on in the 90s? I don't remember. No, I'm not that old yet. It was it was, <laughs> it was on, uh, <laughs> it was on um, mid, I want to say, I used to watch it on WB. So that yeah, was before yeah, yeah, it I was did, yeah. CW. Right. Um, I want to say that it was on like the early 2000s because I remember at that time I had that and then Justice League, which yeah. is my Justice League, which not to get too off track, but like that's why I'm super hyped for that Scott Snyder book because oh, it's that God, team. That <laughs> yeah. It's that team. Um, yeah. So I think yeah. they were on at the same time because I remember I used to watch uh, WB on Saturdays and they were always showing X-Men Evolution and so I, I want to say it like ran like I, I, I want to say it ended by like 2005. Like that's the okay. latest that I think it was on, which is still okay. a long time ago. Yeah. But I'm not that old yet. The, the 90s one was the uh, Fox show, which is also. That's really, right. That's a that's really right. good show. I mean, even if you don't like X-Men, that's like that to me is like what, uh, like a standard for superhero cartoons. Yeah. 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 I remember I remember waking up on Saturdays and like watching like X-Men Evolution and Justice League. And then like they would, they would show reruns of Batman, the animated series. And I'd like watch that and stuff. Um, and like, I think like, like Yu-Gi-Oh was on that block at, on the WB or whatever. Yes. Too, and, so was Pokemon. And Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All the, all the good things. It was a all great time things. to be a kid. <laughs> of course. Of course. And now all the, now all these young whippersnappers have their iPhone and their Twitter. They watch and all their cartoons all the whole- on, their, on their computer. What's wrong with you? <laughs> horrors of the internet <laughs> uh, internet ruins everything <laughs> that's listen if you believe the headlines that's why toys r us is closing because <laughs> <sighs> damn millennials can't millennials. afford <laughs> listen suck. kids don't play with toys they say to me who has bought at least 100 toys for a nephew so <laughs> yeah yeah like if Toys R Us was really smart, they would have bought stock in Apple and then they wouldn't have, you know, they wouldn't have gone out of business because 
they could have been selling like fancy iPads and things. I just, you know, I don't want to get too far off on this, but I just find that whole thing <laughs> so amazing because like I have a nephew and like most of the things I've bought him have been actual toys that he adores. Right. Like I was jealous of his Christmas present. I bought him this like talking Thor from Thor Ragnarok and it was awesome. He had, it was like, it was posable and had all these voice lines. I was like, I want this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I remember buying video games at Toys R Us yeah, growing up. Yeah, that's where I got um, my first Game Boy and Pokemon Gold. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, bought PlayStation games, like, the original PlayStation at uh, at Toys R Us back when that was a thing. Um, damn. That was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> see, now now we're doing the nostalgia thing. Oh, um, but really, like, what do you what do you think about this? Like, move back to to this character. Like, just like it feels like the X Men books are they're not moving forward; they're moving backward. They are to a degree, and I think what it is is that the X Men have always been so hard to build new stories with. At least new stories in the sense that it's hard to make a story where someone who's got no experience with X-Men can just jump in. It's, I don't know why, but it's always been very hard for creators to do that. They rely so much on the history and it's like that history is a burden and a blessing because I can't think of another franchise that has such a fun and ridiculous history as the X-Men do, but then it's very hard to just make a new series. I think uh, X-Men Red it's like the closest we've come to like being a completely fresh jumping on point for anyone trying to read X-Men. And even then it's like, all right, yeah, Jean Grey's back to being alive, but why does she, why are her and Nightcrawler so close? Or why, uh, who is this Wolverine clone running around with this group? Like, oh, who's Cassandra Nova? Why should I care yeah. about this final page? You wasn't, know, wasn't so, more dead and why is he sexy again and all this? I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, I I don't know like the breakdown of the demographics of who buys X-Men, but it feels like they are reverting back to all these characters that you know and love from years past because they don't know how to make it new without completely rebooting the whole thing. I think they tried when they brought in the time-displaced X-Men because they were like, yeah, well, mm-hmm. their history isn't established yet. So we've got a young Gene, we've got a young Cyclops, we've got young Angel, young Iceman, let's do new stories with them. But then even Bendis got so bogged down in making them a part of like the story with everyone else that they never actually had their own story to tell. Even X-Men Blue, like, it's it's not a good book, I'm sorry, but it's it's not. It, it's <laughs> it, it, it's not not what it could be um so it is they are reverting back to um the characters that people know and they're getting kitty and colossus married which is like really weird um because colossus never aged but now kitty's all of a sudden close to his age so um (laughs) uh that's weird (laughs) um so that's not a wedding i'm interested in at all um kitty's really into that that like the daddy fetish or whatever else you know but like now she's like yeah but now she's like 30 so it's like all right it's like you got a crown of this, but oh well. Yeah, I mean, like, somehow Colossus is still, like, 30, so it's like, oh, yeah, suddenly they're, like, the same age. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but, oh, like, even Cable, 
they're bringing in a new creative team that I really like. I really like the guys who are working on that. But even then, they're kind of like, well, we're just going to kind of do something very 90s with Cable, which, to be fair, is probably how Cable works best anyway. But it's all very much like nostalgia driven. And I guess as far as sales, that's what works. But then you have a book like Generation X that used a lot of young characters that was headlined by um, Jubilee being in charge of the team. And that ended before it, that ended right when it started getting good. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the X-Men franchise has a hard time selling to people who have never read X-Men because like I said, their, their history is so good, but also it's a burden on them because it's hard to just write these stories and then ignore all the stuff that came before. But I always, I mean, I guess this is like weird, but I always tell people like Wikipedia is your friend. (laughs) Like just read a character biography. Like you don't need to know every single little thing that ever happened in this character's life. Like if you really want to know, just like spend three or four minutes just sk- skimming a Wikipedia bio. They're really good. I mean, people really, they, they've, they've mm-hmm. covered the bases. And if you've ever watched a movie or if you've watched the cartoons, like it isn't too hard to jump into it. I just think part of the problem is Marvel doesn't know how to market these books either. Um, because X-Men Gold probably should be more popular than it is with a certain set of readers but it never really got marketed the way that it should have been you've got a lot of characters who have been around a long time in that book kitty pride leads that team that's something that since she became a part of the x-men franchise that the whole thing's kind of been building up to but then like the book itself isn't as exciting as it could be it doesn't really push boundaries at all it's it's very generic action and I think part of that problem is that they don't know how to market the books. But it's also hard to say, yeah, just read this book because you should all of a sudden care about these histories. It's hard. It really is. It's it's a hard franchise to understand and and get people into if they have no interest. And it is, it is true when people criticize the X-Men franchise for uh, relying on nostalgia because they do. I mean, their whole thing right now is they're marketing that wedding between Kitty and Colossus, and like, who cares about that in 2018? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I don't know. I think I would. I think I would care more if the like creators on those books were people that I cared about a lot. Like, I don't. I don't give two shits about Mark Guggenheim or Cullen Bunn writing X Men books. Well, I mean, it's. I I I like Cullen Bunn, but I don't think he should be writing X Men sure. anymore. The X Men Blue is not a good book. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, and like, I mean, like I pick, I would, uh, I read something like X-Men Red because Tom Taylor's writing it. Like I'm reading the Rogue and Gambit stuff. Too, so good. Yeah, because like Kelly Thompson's writing and like, um, uh, whoever the artist is, Perry Perez. I think that's right. It, People will criticize Rogue and Gambit for being so reliant on the history. But I think that the way Kelly Thompson has tackled that, that couple the way that she incorporates their history into like what's literally happening right right now, oh, I yeah. think that's a, it makes for such a really good rom com. Yeah, and like I haven't, I mean, like I don't know a ton about Ring Gamut, but like I can follow that book as as somebody who knows less because like she's just made it really accessible. Um, like the the like newly announced the like Dazzler one shot that Max Visaggio and Laura Bragg is doing. I'm gonna pick so that because I love ah. I love Max Visaggio and like. I don't know shit about Dazzler. I read the A4 stuff, but like that's 
that's all I got. Like, but I'm going to read that because like, that's a creator that I like love and I love, I love her work. And so, yeah, I don't know. Let me tell you, Mags Passaggio, <laughs> okay? Mags, if you're listening to this, hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, have, I have been a fan and friend of Mags for a really long time. And I feel like her whole career has kind of led to her writing a Dazzler book. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, she really loves the X-Men franchise, um, especially like an, an older period, like the 80s, 90s stuff. And she has such appreciation for Dazzler. And it's like, I, I really wish, like, I really hope this becomes something more than just the one shot because I think Mags would write an amazing Dazzler. I think Mags would write a bunch of the X-Men really good. I think she'd write an amazing Nightcrawler. Um, I would really love to see her um, version of like a team book that involves the newly resurrected professor x um i would really like to see her write that um but yes mags visaggio writing x-men is like the best thing that's happened to the x-men in a while (laughs) hi max (laughs) yeah yeah oh my god well and like i'd like i mean she's like a she's like a rising star i guess and um i mean like she's got you know she's got like eternity girl going at dc and like kim and kim's getting an ongoing now from vault uh, which is like the first ongoing that they've ever done. Um, Cause they just like been doing mini series or not. Black, Vault, Mask. Black yes, Mask. It is their first like, yeah, full yeah. ongoing. I'm so excited. It's like, Oh shit. It's Kim and Kim. <laughs> I know that's like, that's going to be fantastic. Um, and like Marvel or DC, like one of them need to like, like jump on, on like Visage and like, like sign her exclusive. She's, I think she's in like DC's writing workshop for this like new round. She is. She is. And I don't know what she has planned, but I, I saw her, one of her tweets. She does have, a couple more things to announce. So I'm crossing my fingers. It's, it's um, not a young animal book, but I'm hoping it's like a DC proper book. Like I'm really hoping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, I read those as like, cause I saw that too. I'd like that. She has, she said like one of them was an ongoing, which now we know is the, the Kim and Kim stuff. But um, like, I think she might have like a couple more minis in work for the rest. And maybe one of those is an X-Men book. Like that would be fantastic or like, or something like, fun and like on the fringe at DC, but, um, but who knows, but like, those are like, Marvel doesn't need to be relying on like people like, like Guggenheim or, or Cullen Bunn or, um, I mean like, like the, like the Icewind creative team of like Cinder Grace, uh, like, and Alejandro Vitti and then Robert Gill, like that's a great creative team. And then like the, I don't know. Like they keep, they keep running back to like, like, like Greg Pak on like, like weapon X and stuff. Like I haven't touched those books. I don't understand. Like I like Greg Pak so much. I do not understand why he's being wasted on the most generic action book you can possibly imagine with weapon H it it's and the weapon X book. It is like, it's maddening. <laughs> it's like he could be doing something yeah. so much cooler and yeah. he's writing like the most basic, like, blow him up action book which I, some people like that i don't <laughs> i i need like somewhere there's got to be something yeah. charming happening here because even like the early reviews that are coming in for pacific rim 2 they're like oh it's just like generic action but john boyega is there which means it's automatically charming so it's like you break pop to do like the most mm-hmm. generic thing and you're not like letting him have fun like his amadeus cho book was so good 
It was it was until Legacy started, and then it devolved into yeah. let's revisit the greatest hits of when I did Incredible Hulk, you know, ten years ago or it's whatever. So dumb. Uh, but yeah, I think I think this is like it's like Marvel's Marvel's like half-assing this whole trying to move forward thing. Like there are a lot of good things coming with Fresh Start that are like are new and different, and I'm excited about. And there's just a lot of like let's revisit all these tropes because that's what we think that people need. And I think like on some level. Like there are characters that benefit from moving forward and there are characters that, that don't. Um, and like, I guess to appease this like sort of like white male, my demographic fanboy group, whatever, um, like they need some of that. Like they need the like the dance slots doing the Rick and Morty, whatever bullshit with Iron Man. Oh my God. Don't even get me started on that because I don't even like Tony Stark and I feel like by saying you're doing Black Mirror or Rick and Morty with Tony Stark is like a fundamental misunderstanding of who Tony Stark is. I read the solicit for that book and I'm like, I'm not going to pay for this. Um, Which sucks because like, I think that like a character like Iron Man has a lot to say in this sort of like weird technocratic age that we find ourselves in. Like there's like, the the climate that like initiated his creation like during the cold war not that it's like been recreated in like 2018 but there are like different technology problems that like a character like tony stark could speak to that i don't think the dance lot's gonna do because he's gonna make it like weird generic sort of actiony whatever stuff and that sucks um but yeah i don't know i think like the like the x-men have a problem the X, we're, we've like gone off on a huge tangent. Like, in, in X23 is maybe like the epitome of some of that, but this is, yeah, there's a lot of weirdness going into the rest of this year. And I like want it all to be good. I really do. For sure. I really do too. I mean, I still think giving another book to Tom Taylor and giving another one to uh, Kelly Thompson would be a really good idea, but we'll see. I mean, they did just get a new editor for the X-Men book. Yeah, yeah. For the X-Men line. Um, Jordan White is coming in, um, and he did the Star Wars books, and I'm very, very, very behind on the Star Wars stuff, but I've only heard good things same. Aside from the very divisive Dr. Afra subject. Um, <laughs> which that's, Oh, that's divisive? I didn't realize. It is because she should have died at the end of, of Darth Vader, but she didn't because she got popular. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have been kind of back and forth on her solo title. I've only oh, read okay. a little bit of it, so I don't know where I fall, but I do think she probably should have died since that was like... That I did read the whole thing up. I did read all of Darth Vader. She probably should have died. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I haven't, that's been a whole realm of Marvel stuff that I like have been meaning to get into and haven't because people have just like consistently praised their Star Wars stuff. Um, and I wanted to start reading the new Darth Vader series with Charles Soule and uh, Chisebi Kamikola, but I just, I haven't, I haven't gotten, I haven't picked it up yet, but like that's on my, my radar of things to do. I have so many things that I want to read all the time and it's a horrible, horrible, horrible curse. Why do people continue to make art? Why can't they just stop? <laughs> anyway, um, cool. Well, you have any you have any more X Men X twenty three thoughts? Quentin Quire better show up in something real soon because that is my favorite adopted son. He's the worst, but I adopt all the <laughs> trash children, so I mean, makes sense. No, I I, I um 
Yeah, I mean, I just, I read a lot of it. I read pretty much all of it for Mutant Versity. You guys should read Mutant Versity because I read everything So for you. So, um, And there are some gems that stand out, but most of it is relying on the old and it's not very innovative. And it could be. It's it's just it could be. There's no reason it can't be. I mean, you want to sell books, right? Yeah. Um, but I I just hope for the best because mm-hmm. I do really love the X Men. So we'll see. Um, we'll see. I I hope 2018 is a good year. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back for the second part of our discussion. Talk a little bit about Jessica Jones and a little bit about Alias. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we're back for the second part of this conversation with Jess. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Alias, the uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis in the uh, in the early aughts and then illustrated by Michael Gatos with covers by David Mack. Um, is the original series that created uh, Jessica Jones and is kind of the basis for uh, the, the Netflix series, um, which just uh, launched its uh, second season, I think last week or week before last. Jess, you've been reviewing Jessica Jones a little bit for the, for the site. How is, how is the second season of, uh, of this Netflix show? Uh, I'm four episodes in. There are four episodes uh, recap reviewed on multiversity.com. So you could read like my more detailed thoughts there. Um, four episodes in, I don't hate it. Um, but I do think that that's they, a, that's a good review. That's, that's a good a, review. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I do wish the Netflix shows would embrace um, either shorter seasons shorter episodes or just embrace the fact that they can do whatever they want and go episodic and let Jessica Jones be a show where she investigates lots of different things with a overarching plot so that the one long 13 episode storyline doesn't get dragged out for 13 hours. Um, uh, Kristen Ritter, still fantastic. She is my favorite of all the actors um, that are the leads of these Netflix shows. Um, I still really like uh, everything she does, but uh, I wish they would embrace cutting a little bit. Editing is your friend. Well, they're just <laughs> they're just following in the footsteps of her creator Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, but at least he only drug drags things out for like four issues. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, that's a that's a fair critique. I think that's kind of been the the consensus like that I've seen online, and I think that that's been the consensus that a lot of people have have said about most of the Netflix shows that 
they don't necessarily have to be 13 episodes uh, or 13 hours. Like you can, you could tell one good story in two and a half hours or tell one good story in six hours or whatever. What gets me the most about Jessica Jones though, is that she's like daredevil. She literally is giving you the chance to say, Hey, let's do a one hour episode where she investigates something. And you're like, no, we're just going to like stretch out this one story arc for 13 hours. I mean, I know that some people really feel like the monster of the week thing with X-Files was really dumb at times, but, like, at least you got a lot of, like, really great one-off episodes, and you could do that with Jessica Jones. You just choose not to. I don't know why, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's like we've entered this age of television where only, like, Law & Order SVU is allowed to do episodic episodes, Um like the all all shows have to tell this huge season long narrative. Uh, I don't know why that is. Like I think that there's something really beautiful about like doing the like the one off things. And even you can have your like season long plot on top of that, but like do the one do the one thing really well. I guess I don't know. Like pick something to do well and do it. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's there's some stuff to like about it. Kristen Ritter is still like fantastic. Um. But I haven't finished it yet. I don't know what twists and turns are coming for me. Um, if you liked the first season, you will probably like this one too. I don't see why you would hate it. If if the 13 episode thing, 52 minute episodes <laughs> doesn't bother you, then yeah. I don't think you'd hate it. It covers a lot of the same big themes about being a victim and, and post-traumatic stress disorder. does a lot of that, um, but adds some new wrinkles to it, especially with Trish. I, if you like the first season, you'll like this too. I don't. I don't see why you wouldn't. That's fair. That's the so I've, I've, of the Netflix shows I've watched the first season of Daredevil and the first season of, of Jessica Jones, and that's that's where I met. And Jessica Jones was definitely better. Um, so it's good to know it's more it's more of the same. Didn't change a whole lot of stuff up. Uh, yeah, I need to get on the Netflix show kick, but I'm just like so daunted by having to watch Luke Cage and having to watch Iron Fist to get to dare to get to defenders. Just don't do it. Just like skip right to like, listen, listen, if you're going (laughs) to skip around, listen, I, I love writing for multiversity, but there was nothing more torturous than watching every single episode of Iron Fist and writing about it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You don't even need to watch it. Like, Defenders just, like, covers everything. I think Luke Cage is worth watching. Um, okay. I think it's worth watching, um, but you don't need to watch Iron Fist. If you want to watch Iron Fist and just be annoyed the entire time, go for it. But it's, like, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, yeah. it's yeah. so bad. I have, like, that's an entire podcast episode by itself. It's all my problems with the Marvel uh, Netflix version of Danny Rand compared to the comic book version. Because aside from the X-Men, I am also very attached to the Luke Cage-Danny Rand dynamic. Um, <laughs> so you could skip Iron Fist, go straight to the Defenders. Um, Daredevil's pretty good, though. I like Daredevil. I don't know. If that was on like regular cable TV weekly, I'd be into it. Yeah, I watched... Uh... I watched the first the first season of it and, and liked it pretty okay, and then you know watched part of Jessica Jones and then like stopped for a while because like I'm busy, and then finally got back to it. And I need to watch the second season of Daredevil. Uh, and I did like I liked the first season; like it was pretty good. Uh, like I liked, I mean, I like I really appreciate the like the tone being different from the like Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like I like that Marvel is doing all these different avenues. Like I haven't watched Runaways yet, but I really want to. Um, and like when Cloak and Dagger comes on, 
freeform, like it looks like it's going to be a totally different, sh- like totally like in the vein of Runaways. And like, I think that's cool, like appear- appealing to like a different Runaways. Audience. Runaways is the best Marvel show. Oh, I will really? fight you. Okay, I will fight someone on this. I adored Runaways. Runaways is like so good. All those kids are amazing, and all the background stuff they added for the parents, they made the entire situation much more complicated than the comic and it's so good like if you've read the comic the first issue is them running Mm -hmm. away the season is basically everything that leads up to them running away it's so good it's so good i i love runaways runaways is i can't wait for it to come back i love it so i'm hoping cloak and dagger since it's uh skewing towards a younger audience i hope it's the same like i'm very excited for that too that's that's awesome that's that's good to hear yeah for, for being someone that's not like super excited about most of the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff, um, like it's good to know that there are good things that exist. Um, but yeah, so let's talk a little bit about about Alias. So uh, so we read the first the first five issues, kind of the first arc of the series uh, for this show. And Jesse, you said you've had some some experience reading reading Alias before. Um, what was your, kind of your overall thoughts about uh, about these issues? Um. I've read all of Alias now about three times. Um, oh, okay, okay. And I've I've read it at different points in my life. Um, I read it like shortly after I guess it wrapped up in the early two thousands um, when I was first getting into comics on my own. Um, I read it again a couple years ago when I helped do a long form uh, with uh, on Multiversity with uh, Paul Lay. Um, which is really good. Um, so maybe we'll link to that. Uh, but it's really good what we ended up doing. And I read it again, like maybe a year ago. Um, and then I reread the first five for today. Cause I have, I have the trades here at my house. And um, I think my enjoyment of alias comes from the bigger picture of it and um, how a lot of it was really different than anything I had read before. And that Jessica Jones as a character was something that really didn't exist in the Marvel universe until Bendis created her. Um, But when you get into the technical parts of it, there's a lot of parts that don't really work um, very well, but it's, it's to me, it's some of Bendis's better work. Um, Sure. It's some of his better work, and Gatos's art is so good. I I really like his art in this in this series. Um, and uh, uh, Purple Man, that's what they refer to him a lot in the comic. They don't actually call him Kilgrave very often because of Marvel. So you know they got to get as comic booky with it as possible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was one of the first villains that truly scared me because when I first read, it, I was like, "Wow, this guy mm-hmm. can." Do, make you do whatever he wants and then he took that so far and then the tv show took it even further um yeah they, they t- i yeah. really like the first season of jessica jones um uh, i think david Tennant is great just in everything listen i was very excited to hear david Tennant say the name jessica over and over again because that's my name but then when he did it it was like very creepy and i was like all right um yeah i don't think i like this <laughs> anymore um yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think Alias. I don't. I don't know if I'd use the word groundbreaking. Um, I wouldn't use the word groundbreaking. But I think it was very different from anything I had ever read before. Uh, especially the first. I always think of the first time I read it, and it was very different from all the superhero stuff I had read when I was like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old. Um, so I really liked. I really like Alias, and the first arc is 
the kind of thing that I wish the show would embrace more. It's a very small kind of case that has big repercussions for Jessica Jones as a person that mixes up like Captain mm-hmm. America. It, it makes her such a part of like the Avengers um, that I really like without like bogging her down in all their drama. Um, but yeah, I, I like the first five issues. Um, the series is, there's a lot of little things that I nitpick at. Uh, some of the language that Bendis uses is weird. Um, he also really likes to talk. <laughs> he loves that dialogue. And <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of my overall thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah, and that that's that's fair. Um, yeah, I read the so it's on for those of you who uh, who don't have access to the traits. It's on Comicsology Unlimited. It's probably also on Marvel Unlimited. Um, one of those is a little bit less expensive than the other. Uh, and you can do 30 days free on Comixology Unlimited. Whatever. Um, I read that somewhere. I don't know. I think that's what I did. Whatever. Anyway. Um, but the whole first trade is on there. Yeah, that's the the introduction to the, the first trade. Um, it's Jeff Loeb writing. And he's talking about this being uh, like a totally different thing. And like you said, like a totally different thing that the Marvel Universe hasn't, hasn't had before. Uh, before Bendis and, uh, and Gatos like created Jessica Jones, and I just I never realized that uh, that Marvel didn't have characters that um, like that cursed a lot and just like did like he talks about her saying the word fuck in like the first the first line of the book like being fuck and like that being uh, like that's being something that never happened in a Marvel comic book and to me that just seems like the logical extension of of Marvel things. Like if this is truly the, the world outside your window, or if this is truly like the real world, there's just superheroes in it. Like, why wouldn't people say fuck? Um, like that, I guess I, I didn't realize that that was something that was missing. And, I, and it makes sense, you know, in a, in a medium that is not necessarily for, for adults that that would be the case. But, um, but still like, I just, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I, um, like I loved the first season of Jessica Jones and I've been reading, uh, Gatos and Bendis is uh, relaunched to get Jessica Jones since since Marvel Now 2.0. Uh, it's actually one of my been one of my favorite series. I think for the last year and a half, because uh, like I just think I think what they I like Bendis a lot more than I should. I think, um, and I think part of that comes from a place of when I started reading Marvel comics, it was when I got Marvel Unlimited and um, I started reading Ultimate Spider-Man. That's kind of where I started. And I got through all like 200 whatever issues of that before I realized that like comics weren't the super wordy thing, like that other comics didn't exist like that. Um, so I, like for me, the dialogue thing is just, that's what I think of when I think of comics uh, in a lot of ways. And I think that that's, that's probably wrong. Uh, or that's probably backwards as to what most people think. I, I have become more aware of it in the last few years, like this over, this over wordiness. And there have been some uh, like Bendis comics that I've read in the last like year or so, or in the last year and a half um, that I'm like, this is, this is over like unnecessary wordage. Like a lot of his Iron Man stuff has been like that. Like civil war two is like that. And like, these characters don't have to say all these words and go back and forth. Um, but that's just how he writes. Um, so to like to see it here, like to see that oh, and to be reminded that this is truly uh, just who he, he always has been as a as a writer is is really interesting. Yeah, I thought this like I thought this first first arc was really cool. Um, like I'm definitely gonna keep gonna keep reading. Like 
I guess I just, I didn't realize that there was a period where like Luke Cage was a bartender and that like when the mm-hmm, show mm-hmm. borrowed that, that like that was something that happened in the comics. Um, like in the, you know, like in the new series, like her and her and Carol being friends is really cool. Like, and it's cool to see like that having been explored like so early on. Cause I didn't realize that that was a thing. Um, like just like and and this this thing like mirrors the first arc of like this first arc mirrors the first arc of the the other series because like the first arc of the the relaunch series is her investigating this case where this woman's husband uh thinks that he's from the universe that's been uh remade you know like by secret wars or whatever like he thinks he's from the ultimate universe or he thinks he's from another like another timeline and so like it's this the small case that like you said has big repercussions and so uh like it's cool to be able to pick up on on stuff like that um i think gatos's art in this in these first few issues seems like a lot less like refined i guess in some ways than what he does in these later in these later things like in 2018 or whatever um like obviously we're old now so you know it was a long time ago (laughs) yeah 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 we're just so we're so ancient um like he kind of has like the sort of like smudgy, um, like a lot of blacks, not like like the opposite of like a like a Jim Lee, David Finch kind of art thing. And I like that. Like I like the sort of like rougher looking art. Um, it's just like it's interesting seeing this and having seen uh, like what I think is a little bit more refined. Or like refined, refined has like positive or like negative positive conversations. Like like that it's somehow better now than it was in this series. I don't mean like that. It's just like a lot. Like the line work is a lot more more detail. Like it's it's just like if like it feels like the inks on this earlier stuff is like there's there's less I guess less line work than on some of the newer stuff. And like that's that's just interesting to see. Like this looks like. Uh, a lot like Eduardo Riso's art from like hundred bullets um, and stuff like that. Like, and I think it's good. There's so many panels in a lot of these pages. Uh, and that's just like, there's, there's a crazy amount of panels. There's a lot of white space too, which is not something that you see, I think in a lot of, um, in a lot of modern comics, I guess, or I'm saying modern as if we're some, we're somehow really old now. Um, but yeah, like there's there's a lot to like. There's a lot that I'm like, oh, this is maybe more reflective of like the time period that it was in. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Definitely want to read more. Yeah, the series as it goes on, um, which is why season one of Jessica Jones is what it is, is because most of like once you get past like I think nine, I think once you pass get past like issue twelve, like the whole thing is Purple Man. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Okay. Yes, that is that is why um, the show basically is that like Jessica Jones does not have a very big uh, history associated with her. Yeah, which is why like season two of Jessica Jones was going to be so interesting because it's like, well, what are they going to do next? Because they didn't end season one with her um, being with Luke Cage, so like, what was going to come next? And um, this is what they came up with. I don't want to spoil too much, but this is what they ended up coming up with. Um, yeah, Alias is is cool, but it does suffer from Bendis saying too much. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Well, and, and that was the other interesting thing too, like having only read these, these first five issues and knowing that like that purple, purple man is a character that's like intimately tied to like Jessica Jones's history and all that. I was surprised that he didn't show up in this, in this first arc. Um, but if the rest of the book from like issue 12 on is, is just him, then that makes more sense. Cause this book, it only ran like what, like 28 issues, I think something like that. Um, so like, uh, I think it ran um, the whole series as a whole. I don't think it hit 30 issues. I think it ended up going a little under that. And then right after that, it went into uh, The Pulse, which was also... That's right. And that was when... That was the series where Danielle Cage was born. Mm-hmm. And then basically, which is just why it's so amazing that Jessica Jones ended up being like the character they picked was because like after that, like she doesn't really do very much. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> she's kind of a side character in new Avengers when Luke Cage is in the Avengers. And there's like mm-hmm. a whole thing with like squirrel girl being like their nanny. And yeah, there's like the big wedding issue. And then like Jessica Jones is not really like a major, major player in anything really. I mean, I love her, but like she was never aside from like alias and the pulse. She was never, a character that had like all this like fanfare around her. So it was always really interesting that they chose her to do, um, which the only reason I think they chose her is because they couldn't use Spider Woman. Oh, that you think that's the only reason they didn't, they gave her. I think that's why. Interesting. I think so. I think they, they needed, they needed to do, they knew that it would be really messed up if they didn't have at least one, uh, female driven show. Um, so I think they didn't get, because they couldn't use uh, Jessica Drew, Spider Woman, they ended up using uh, Jessica Jones because it was re- it would be really easy to connect her with Luke Cage, and then it would be really easy to connect her even in the smallest way to um, Matt Murdock because right. in the first arc he's her lawyer. <laughs> right, right. So that's so that's so interesting, and I think yeah, I think you're you're right. Like I didn't realize until this moment either that uh, like she's a character that. Yeah, like uh, is created in this series, and then like when she becomes mainstream and like New Avengers, and then like that whole Bendis first, like she kind of becomes a background character. Um, and he, he, that's and and I guess yeah, maybe it's because like Luke Luke Cage and like and like Iron Fist have more more history than she does. But that almost seems like a reason that you would want to push her to the forefront. But yeah, I, I guess that makes more sense why it would have been such a bigger deal that we got that Jessica Jones solo series. But even that one, like the whole first arc of the like relaunch series is like her, her and Luke's marriage, like being kind of in this like state of like, because she takes off with the kid, she takes off with Danielle. And it's interesting that they would have to break them up to like make her a, a big deal again. I hate it. Like I hate it. Let, let Jessica Jones and Luke Cage be a happy couple. They deserve it. Yeah. Why don't they have a book together? I don't know. I don't know why they insist on having all these separate TV shows either, because obviously Heroes for Hire is a show and you could just make, you could just add Jessica Jones be a part of it. But the TV shows are so different now. Like, I don't think they're ever going to do the, the OTP of, of, of Luke Cage and and Jessica Jones, but we'll see. Hmm. That's yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense, especially yeah, especially yeah, from what you're saying though, like she doesn't get a lot of billing Mm-mm. after this series. She doesn't. Um, she's in New Avengers, but she's like not. She's not like 
a big part. She actually does end up going the mommy route where it's like, well, she's only in here because she's married to Luke Cage now and they have a kid. Yeah. So, you know, we have to make sure she's there so people remember that Danielle has a mom. <laughs> that's 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 <laughs> shitty. It's it's so bad. Um, Especially because like, Bendis is still the person who's writing. but Yeah, I haven't read the new Jessica Jones series because... I'm worried that Bendis has gotten even more Bendis-y. <laughs> yeah. And I th- I think I had read the first issue and it was just like her and some other person just being super catty with each other. And I was like, Bendis, come on. You, yeah. you got you to do better than this. I mean, you're, you're, you have daughters, you have a wife, you, you should be a little bit better about writing women. You're, you're around women. Listen to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. There is definitely less that happens in the first five issues of that book than does in the the first five issues of this book. Like, I think it takes it takes like an entire like six or seven issues for her to like solve her first case. And then she goes into another case. And then this last arc is is all about Purple Man. But like, literally, I think there are several issues that are just her having one conversation with one person. I think like one of the issues is just like her having a conversation with uh, with with Kilgrave um, towards the end. And like, I guess. It's interesting, yeah. Like maybe Bendis has gotten more, more decompressed as as time has gone on. Um, so I've always wondered if um, maybe he envisioned Jessica Jones as like a detective novel, and it just never happened. So he turned it into a comic book because there is a lot of dialogue in in both series from the little bit I've seen. Um, so I wonder if he ever, if he first conceptualized her as like a a, a series a novel series and then it just didn't work out so he did a comic book instead that would make sense i think yeah like it seems like very like even even jeff Loeb in this like introduction to this this version it says like calls it like crime comic comic book noir um i wondered like has bendis ever written like a book book because i feel like he'd be really good at writing like a real a real novel he just is kind of known for doing comic-y things now. I mean, the only book I can think of was his uh, How to Actually Make Comics book that I actually... I actually oh, know yeah. <laughs> um, But I don't think he ever did, um, like, a actual novel. I kind of wish he would, because I feel like he'd be good at that. Yeah. Like, his scripts for Alias are so, like, there's... It's like depending on what kind of reader you are, you prefer less dialogue than a lot of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And there are pages of Jessica Jones where it's just like bubble after bubble, just, just trailing down to the very end of the page because it's so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like him, him and him and Alan Moore, both that are just like these, these writers that are known for comics now, but are super like are super dialogue heavy. Um, and Alan, like Alan Moore's written like novels. Um, it just seemed like that they were that they're novelists that just got roped into writing comics and just like fell in love with these characters and have never left. Um, yeah, it's so it's fascinating to me. I don't know. Um, any other any other thoughts on uh, on these first few issues? Um, I really like the first few issues of Alias because I think the one thing that it does that I really enjoy is. Um, the way that it incorporates Captain America into her story. Um, 
Because unlike the TV show uh, where it like hits it at, well, she maybe wants to be a hero at some point. In Alias, she was a hero. And she hung out with yeah. the Avengers. Like, she's very good friends with Carol, Carol Danvers. Um, and this is, like, way before Captain Marvel was a thing. Um, and I like that she gave it up. I, I always found that that made her really interesting that she was... I don't want to say too much about later on in the series, but she was forced to give it up. And that she still found a way to live... Um, a life that still kind of had her helping people, even though it was like on a way smaller scale, like she was busting cheaters and stuff. Um, and the first arc really does a great job at like kind of um, referencing her, her old history by including Captain America and also kind of highlighting how she really wasn't anybody important because he really didn't remember her. <laughs> um, right, <laughs> like, right. you gotta think of, like, all the Marvel superheroes that exist. Like, there's people like Captain America and Iron Man, and then there's people like Tigra. Like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like Captain America's not hanging out with Tigra, and at this point, like, he's not hanging out very much with, like, She-Hulk, you know? Like, yeah, and these are people that just don't end up on his radar, and she was one of them. So the fact that she like ends up doing him a solid and not exposing his um, secret identity to the world, which I forgot was like not known to people. Yeah, that was the other weird part of this arc. I was forgot that like there might have been a period that Steve Rogers that people didn't know who Steve Rogers was. Yeah, I I always I always forget that. Um, I like how that works out and I like how her history comes into play and I, I really like the first arc because I think we get to see her do a lot of different things as far as her skill set and just being a really good detective mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah yeah that is definitely the one big distinction between like this arc and like the first season of the show is that like yeah she was well I guess like they reference in the in the show some that like she was a, a hero or like she tried to do hero she was gonna she was gonna try and that was when they brought out the costume and then that that never went further than that she never actually became a hero okay okay um yeah like that like the fact that like she's like an established part of like marvel history in this in this arc and instead of um like instead of that other direction of like her trying like i like I like that she has all these different connections. Like, I think it's cool that this book is, is like different. And then like also grounded in like the like bigger universe stuff. Like, I think that's something that it's, it's really, really good at. So, so yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Jess, thanks very much. Um, enjoy the rest of Jessica Jones season two. Yeah. I'm, 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 I don't know any spoilers. I think uh, people have gotten less excited about the Marvel shows. So like, I really haven't seen anything yet, so I'm excited to see like where it goes. Very cool, very cool. Where can people find you on the larger interwebs? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Camacho. I'm sorry, that was my old handle. It's uh, at JustCam <laughs> at JustCamNJ. Uh, I don't tweet as much about comics anymore, but um, I have lots of stuff that you can read about um, on Multiversity.com. Very nice, very nice. Well, cool. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back this next part of the episode with Nick. See you then. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. 
Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back for this third part of uh, this episode of Make Mine Multiversity, joined now by uh, by Nick Palmieri. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. All right. Cool. Well, we're in this next part of the episode. So we talked a little bit in the first part, you know, about current comic news and some other fun stuff. We're talking a little bit about uh, Marvel's recent uh, digital sale on uh, on Comicsology and Amazon. So, Nick, I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to you. Yeah. So, uh, Marvel has been uh, very strange with their uh, pricing of all of their digital comics. Um, and I just want to discuss like why that is, why it might be, and how it you know affects the market. Um, so digital, I guess we're at a point where a lot of people are you know bought into digital, like literally and figuratively. Like people have devices specifically for reading their comics. Uh, some people read on their phone. Some people read uh, you know on their tablet. Some people uh, read on their computer. Um, I mean, I think more and more people than ever are getting more and more into digital. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's taking print away, but uh, I just, I wonder what Marvel is doing. So for those who aren't super familiar, uh, every pretty much every week, uh, different companies will put different sales up on Comixology. Um, and usually it's like, usually it breaks down to collections get either half price or down to like five or six bucks. And then uh, single issues are usually either half price. So about $2 or uh, a lot of companies do $1 uh, for their issues. So uh, Marvel recently uh, over the past few months, they've been having these ridiculous sales on Amazon where everything is maybe like 40 cents per issue, but it's all, it's all collections. So, you know, one collection of, Oh wow. Like 40 cents, like for like several issues, like not even, no, it, it would be like maybe a dollar 20 or a dollar 40 for a five or six issue collection. Um, so that's oh, okay. closer to maybe 20 okay. cents per issue, but in a collection, but still that's crazy because it's, it's way less than the yeah, four or yeah. five dollars that any other competitor is doing. Um, and they would be completely unannounced. It would, it wouldn't even be on comiXology. It would just be on Amazon. And, you know, oh, wow. yeah. So anybody who's following digital is like, what's going on? I'm going to buy everything. So, <laughs> uh, and like creators, see that it's happening and they tell everyone like, Hey, my books are on here for like 80 cents, go get them. Um, and clearly it's being done on purpose because it'll show up on or it'll happen on Amazon for like a week and then it'll go back to normal pricing. After a while of Marvel doing that, the prices went down just across the board on a regular basis. And any, 
uh, modern collection, or I think any collection at all, is typically uh, 50 cents less than the amount of issues that the title contains. So a seven issue uh, trade would be $6.50, or a four issue trade would be $3.50. So that's also crazy because the regular price is less than a dollar an issue. Um, so mm-hmm. the cr- I thought that was the craziest it would get. And uh, in between all of this, Marvel is still running, uh, you know, regular weekly sales where a single issue will be a dollar or right now they have a BOGO sale, um, just modest things like that. But then I guess a week or two ago, I think it was maybe a week and a half ago at this point, um, all of Marvel's collections, and this was advertised on Comixology, all of the collections that were released within the last six months to digital, so that's all collections that came out within the last six months and all collections that were uh, that were previously released in print and just put up on digital in the last six months, uh, they were all 99 cents. And that included things like the entire The Vision director's cut, the entire 12-issue series, mm-hmm. plus like all the extra bonus content that came with it for 99 cents. Uh, it included like complete collections and epic collections that contain like 20 issues, 99 cents a piece. That is five cents an issue. Wow. Um, yeah. So clearly <laughs> something's going on. Um, I was listening to uh, part of that's the issue podcast also on multiversity comics network. Um, and uh, Matt and Wes were talking about how uh, these sales usually come at the end of a business quarter for Marvel so that they can like beef up their sales numbers. Um, but I mean, there's, it's clearly at this point, I feel like there's something more going on. And I also wonder like, when is enough enough? And there was a a website, I think it was bleeding cool. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but one website just ran a short article that basically asked that question. Like, when is enough enough? Is this too much? (laughs) What is because, you know, collections can't be decreased much more from where they are, what from where they were in that sale. Oh, also, uh, everything went back up except for the stuff released in the last two weeks. Those trades are still a dollar or 99 cents. Um, still crazy. And they're still advertising it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like at a certain point, like when are people who are already bought into digital going to have enough of their stuff? When are they going to stop buying at regular or even discounted prices so that they can wait for the steeply discounted things? Um, And does that ultimately matter to the bottom line? Yeah. Those are a lot of really good questions. Um, (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, So I I guess a couple of things come to mind for me. Um, One, I think it's really interesting that is it just Marvel that does these crazy sales like this? Or is it a number of other companies that do things like this? It's just Marvel. Uh, the only, the regular comiXology sales that go on are usually half price or trades are down to like five bucks maybe. And like single issues are down to a dollar. Um, DC's craziest sale was, I think it was during Black Friday. Every trade that they had ever released was four ninety nine. Okay. Okay. And that's, okay. that's like pretty much the lowest that's ever gotten. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
so so Marvel has a like in the last year, you know, they've had that partnership with Comixology, and a lot of their a lot of their uh, their trades and stuff now are part of Comixology Unlimited. You know, so you can pay six dollars a month or whatever it is and get and get a lot of their trades like when jess you know i talked about this earlier in our episode like when jess and i were talking about alias like jess had the trades from when she had bought them and read them earlier in her life but i i just checked out the first volume on on comiXology unlimited um and like they've started to develop a number of like digital comics and stuff with uh with comiXology like that are just being released on comiXology so part of this i think is maybe like their new partnership with with comicsology, but also like Marvel, all of Marvel's comics are also on Marvel unlimited as well. Um, and like they release, you know, like their current stuff, like six months after it's already been out. So I'm, I'm wondering too, like if what it says about, about Marvel that they think that like, well, all this stuff is already on the internet anyway, why not just make it more, more accessible. Mm-hmm. And I've wondered that also like, it's it is all out there for pretty like pretty much a low price but personally I go through like reading phases and I know when I'm not going to be reading Marvel sure. um so during that time I'm just not subscribed to Marvel Unlimited um I guess same thing with Comicsology Unlimited just a lot of the time I'm like oh I have enough backlog and that's the thing like comics readers we always have backlog we always have a bunch of stuff that we own but have not Oh for sure yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah even though we have that, we keep on adding to the pile. Right. And it's funny how that mentality doesn't extend for me. I wonder if it doesn't extend for other people too, uh, to, uh, subscription services. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's really just like, so I have a, I have a Marvel unlimited account that, um, a friend of mine and I, like we, the past two years, like I've paid for it. And then he's reimbursed me the, like the $35 cause it's 70 bucks a year or whatever it is. Um, and we just like, we split it that way. Um, there's so much on Marvel unlimited that I haven't read it. I barely, I honestly barely touched the account, um, at this point, but, but yeah, like I do think that people who read digitally probably go through these phases of, of having back of having backlog, I guess. But it, I, th- I think if you're somebody who's, who's regularly buying, you know, like their digital, like digital comics, like regularly buying, you know, like regular issues. Like if you're a, a Wednesday warrior, but like for the digital market, which I, I guess, I don't know how many of those there actually are. I do like, I do know that like comicsology posts, they're like top 10, um, like every week. And like, what seems like the top 10 in the, like in the bleeding cool top 10 or like what seems like in the, their top 10. And then like when the top hundred comics comes out for the month, like there's a lot of overlap there. Uh, but like, yeah, it's, it seems like there's a decent amount of people who read monthly on digital, but uh, I wonder if that affects the titles. And that's another thing to consider digital doesn't factor into diamond sales numbers, obviously. Right, right. And so the like companies make their decisions based on their diamond sales. So if something is selling in digital, it doesn't matter. Um and not to mention most physical copies of comics uh from Marvel, not other publishers, but Marvel specifically, uh have digital codes with them. And yeah. 
I wonder, because this sale was in the last six months, I wonder if it has to do with the fact that like comic shops are always pushing what is new that week. And if they don't sell it within two weeks, it's like most, most of the time it's a loss for them. Um, and yeah, so I wonder if this is sort of like Marvel saying, well, we have all this backlog. People aren't really buying it because they're only buying the stuff that is currently, you know, coming out. So, yeah, so the if the weekly shops aren't selling the things through, I wonder if it's the same on digital uh, where they have, like, the last six months of comics. Like, people aren't really buying. They're either buying the stuff that's really, really new or they're buying uh, the stuff that is, like, evergreen. You know, stuff like Infinity Gauntlet. Um, so I wonder if that could st- help explain the sale. Yeah. Well, and that makes a lot, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Like Marvel, like if they're, if they're not selling the stuff that they're putting out every Wednesday, or if they're not selling the stuff they're putting out every Wednesday, well, then maybe like you said, like the, um, like they talked about in the, that's the issue podcast, like having these crazy sales at the end of, a, uh, the end of a quarter, um, like raises the revenue. Like their if their main issues aren't selling, um, and that, I mean, like, that's like, like diamond sales, I would imagine is the bulk, the bulk of sales for most publishers. Like I can't imagine digital being, um, that much more, that much more of a, like a big thing for, um, like for those companies or like for Marvel specifically. Yeah. I tried switching to all digital, mm-hmm. um, a few months ago. And I recently decided to go back to physical, uh, mainly because of the diamond numbers thing. Like ultimately my sales and the majority of the titles that I buy are sales or (laughs) they're titles that need people to buy them. Like they're titles that need that diamond support um, because they're either like fringe titles from major publishers or they're just from like smaller publishers. Um, And when it, when it comes to Marvel, I mean, part of the reason that is, is because of all these sales. Like, I know that if I ever want to read this Marvel stuff, I can get it for, like, the price of less than what I would pay for one issue for the entire trade Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a few months. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you can read the entire back catalog of most of what they've published recently and, like... And definitely what they've published forever on Unlimited. Like, you can read a lot of it on Comixology Unlimited, too. I'm more, like, with the bringing up the indie publishers, this is something that I thought about just now. Um, like if Marvel is having these crazy sales for like their trades and stuff on comiXology, um, like how then do, do indie publishers compete with, with things like that? Like are people going to buy a, a digital copy of a trade paper bag from somebody like boom or somebody like dark horse or, um, or some of the, like the smaller companies, even like black mask or vault or something. If they're not, if the price is not like, 99 cents or if the price is not like five bucks if the price is like 10 12 whatever bucks yeah um, and i was wondering that too in terms of like how it relates to marvel and basically what they've been doing to comic shops over the last few years uh where like the comic shops depend on them but then they have these really uh just <laughs> i don't i can't think of a word for it but sort of like vampire (laughs) like they're they're sucking the lifeblood of these poor comic shops that end up going out of business because of these tactics that marvel is using like um 
how uh, the whole like variant cover incentive, like the way that whole system works where uh, companies order like 120% of like what they ordered of this past issue in order to get like that one specific variant cover that might sell. Um, and that ultimately it's, it's unsustainable and it sort of screws over the comic shops. It screws over all the other publishers because if the comics are, or if the comic shops are putting this much money into these Marvel comics, then they can't like other companies just can't compete. Yeah. So I wonder if that, if that's like now extending into digital, like Marvel just really wants to be this, not monopoly, but they want to have like 10,000 legs up. They want to be the big corporation to, uh, if all the smaller publishers were like the mom and pop shop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and like taking that model too, like, the big, the big corporation, they drive the mom and pop shops out and then they're, then they're monopoly. It's not like, it's not like they buy the mom and pop shop and then continue to operate the mom and pop shop on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I also wonder how much of this is like Marvel sort of flailing around and trying to regain a hold of the market because people keep dropping off of monthly Marvel and I don't know. Are they trying to get more people to buy into older stuff? Are they, do they just want to be, <laughs> they want to be the very best. Like no one ever was. Um, want to be the bit. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I just got a, an image of what was the, the flame bird one that like flew through the sky. Oh, in the first at, episode like, at the very beginning of the theme song. Uh, like in the first few seconds. Anyway, it, it's it's like it's ho, it's ho, I think. <laughs> yeah, that one. That one. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh God. Side note. Uh, thinking of that character reminded me of this. Do you remember e-reader? Uh. Wait. Yeah. Most people don't. It was like this extra thing on a Game Boy Advance, and you like you put you slid cards through it like it was a like it was a credit card machine. And okay. I had like these five cards, and if you put them together, it would give you a ho ho mini game. Anyway, oh, that just, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> I remember when like the Game Boy Advance, like they had like you could buy cartridges that had like episodes of shows on them or whatever. Like I remember watching like episodes of Pokemon. There were like a handful of episodes um, that like one of my friends had like like on his Game Boy Advance, and I remember like watching it on my Game Boy. Like there was episodes of like SpongeBob and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, um, it was uh oh god, I'm forgetting what it was called, but it was like meant to compete with the video now and the Yeah, 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 yeah. Video now and juice box were the like separate machines and then Game Boy wanted to get in and like have episodes of stuff on their own cartridges. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember the like they're like the something clicks or something, but they're like the music things that they're, they're these clips. little yeah. hit clips. Hit clips. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they're like they were on the like the cartridges and they were like on keychains and you had like your big keychain and you had like all these music things on them, you like plugged them into your thing and it was before like iPad iPods were a thing, like before you could just have like gigabytes and gigabytes of music and uh, <laughs> the world that yeah. we live in now. Anyway. anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, that was a good uh brief nostalgia uh, blast. Um Ah the nineties. 
<laughs> uh, Marvel, they want to be the very best. Um, yeah, so them wanting to be the best is bad. <laughs> Closing remarks. Um, well, and it's 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 interesting, I guess. Like I remember, uh, like seeing people on Twitter, I guess a week ago or a week and a half ago, whenever it was, like tweeting about the Marvel sale and like getting tons of things for ninety nine cents. And, like that just that seems ridiculous. Like, and I wonder um, if like how much that devalues having actual like issues of things or having actual physical copies of trades. Um, like I'm sure there will always be a, a collector market or whatever it is, but does that, well, something like having 99 cent sales for just all these crazy collections, like does that, does that plow the the direct market down in a way like Marvel's Mike Marvel did with the speculation thing back in the nineties and having all these different variant covers. Cause like for me, like seeing people getting to buy the, like the vision collectors edition thing for 99 cents. Like I want that hardcover. I want that like $30 hardcover. That's got the extra stuff in it. I bought all 12 issues of that series. Um, when I die one day, maybe my like children or two, like <laughs> maybe I'm never going to have kids. Who knows? Uh, like somebody, somebody will have all those series and like, can maybe I like, like, does that, like, does that just become worthless on some level? Like does me, does, does like having sales like that, how much does that devalue this other, like this other part of the market, I guess? I don't think it devalues it. I think if anything, it makes it more valuable because there's less being printed, but, uh, I don't know if you meant like in terms of like actual market price or in terms of like how much people appreciate it. Um, Cause if we're talking about appreciation, yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me reading physical copies of anything and re- reading digital uh, like digital, I just don't remember as much and I don't connect with the story as much than when I have like the physical sure, paper. Sure. I don't know why I've tried to figure mm-hmm. out why, Boom, but that's just how it is. And apparently that's not abnormal. Um, but I wonder as younger people are getting more and more used to seeing everything ever on screens, uh, I don't know, are they just going to get used to it? Or are they still going to find paper cool? Well, and that's and that's the thing. Like, does that then... Like, if 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 the comics industry were to go all digital... How much does that? How 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 screwed then are like local comic shops? I guess, um, but like also if the comic shop were to go all digital, wouldn't the prices go down? Because part of like charging two ninety nine or three ninety nine for for a physical copy of a comic book issue, like I, I would think a lot of that is the printing cost, and then like whatever you're paying the like the writer or the artist, like I would think is only like a fraction of that. Like I'd imagine that most writers and artists yeah. get maybe like five cents per like comic issue sold or something. If not that. Yeah. I think Marvel and DC, I, I think Marvel and DC mm-hmm. could do it. I don't know if Marvel ever would. I mean, they're selling, they're trying to make $5 like a normal price for a 20 page comic. Yeah. Which is especially weird given that we're talking about a 99 cent trade sale. Yeah. Um, but uh, what you said about like it is the digital or is the industry moving to digital? I think 
the weekly comics industry is moving to digital, but I think that there will always be an audience for print. And that's just going to be, people are going to find it a different way. And maybe most comic shops will go under for a while until like a new type of comic shop shows up, which is more like a bookstore, but just mostly comics. Yeah. Or like still a shop serving the, serving that mm. community, but for yeah. trades. Yeah. Only. Well, and there are, I think there are a handful of like local comic book stores that have other things attached to them or other things inside of them. Like there's that one, uh, it's like the, a comic shop, I guess the one that's in, it's in Florida that like the guy does all the videos for bleeding cool. Oh, in, uh, in Orlando or winter park. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. My friend so, used to live right by there. I've been there. I didn't know okay. the bleeding cool thing on them. Yeah. They're awesome. The guy who owns that show does a, like a weekly video that like bleeding cool leaks to of just like, here's what's coming out this week that I'm excited about. Um, but like, yeah, yeah. But like they have a bar in the comic or in the comic book shop. Um, yeah. Uh, like have like, like doing something like that or having like a, like a, a coffee shop, comic book store or something like that. Like those are, those are things that I, like I personally think would be really like really cool and like would love to be a part of, of something like that. Um, in the future. But I think like, as, cause I think, I think you're right. Like, I think the, like the weekly sort of how we, how we get individual issues of comics. I think that that world is drastically, is drastically changing. Um, but, but I, I do think that single issue comics will always be a thing. I think they have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely, I don't think that they're going to survive in print for long unless it's like small Kickstarters and like things like that. But that's like, that sucks because like you can't, like you have to have single issues because artists aren't fast enough to churn out like graphic novel sized, um, sized things every, every three months or something like that. Well, that's, that's why the digital market would still exist. Yeah. The digital market would be where the single issues go. But I feel like, I don't know, like the further you get away from having a, like a physical version of, of the art or a physical version of, of that, like, I don't like individual artists sell their original artwork, um, like for series and stuff like that. And they sell them for like, you know, maybe hundreds of dollars or, or stuff like that, like individual pages. Uh, I feel like to go full digital, well, maybe, and maybe you're right now that I'm thinking about this. If to go full digital for individual issues and then to like have the physical copies or like the individual art of like pages that are on those digital issues, like maybe, yeah, maybe that would raise the price for indiv- like for original artwork more because that would be the only physical copy of something like that that would exist besides the trade paperback um, or a hardcover. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But then, yeah, I mean, it, there's not really a correlation between you know, individual like hand-drawn art pages and whether or not the comic is going to be digital. Yeah. I, I don't think so yeah. at least. Well, and I wonder like this leads, I mean, I'm curious. And I don't know how a lot of the art for, I don't know how many artists like do their, like do their originals and do their primary stuff digitally, like do the art digitally or like do it hand-drawn. I would imagine that it's pretty split. Um, because even too, like to have original artwork that's digital, um, that's like something you have to 
like print out then i guess and you could have multiple copies of the like original artwork for a series again i'm doing air quotes and nobody's around to see me um (laughs) i don't know like yeah but in that case i mean original art doesn't really exist yeah and that sucks you can do prints of it but you can do prints of hand-drawn stuff too but that's that's not yeah that doesn't really it's a completely different thing from i think from digital comics but then again if all singles are digital maybe people no no i still think that there's always going to be people who prefer to hand draw like on a paper yeah well i feel like i feel like all these things like they're not like uh like one-to-one sort of like related but i feel like they're in like the same sphere of yeah. being related to each other and i know this is this is probably a little bit further away than what from what you originally wanted to talk about um yeah, still it's it's all it is all i mean everything's connected yeah it's all one big industry. i just like i th- i think that there has to be physical versions of of issues like i think that there's something really beautiful about about that and like you're right like there i am further away from the story if i'm reading it on my screen rather than if i'm reading it actually physically mm-hmm. holding it um so you you think there has to be or you want there to be i guess maybe i want there to be and and part of that too like i'm sure that you know like if we just extrapolate comic stuff like even 20 30 80 years down the road like as as like as like paper becomes like a a commodity that like this is getting into weird environmental things but i think like we're getting to a place too where like actually physically printing something like are you are you doing more harm than good like there's that that question too and so is it more environmentally responsible to move to digital to have artists do all their artwork digitally to buy digital copies of things um but is there a place to do that ethically under capitalism under the system that like when you have these 99 cent sales it like does a disservice to these smaller indie publishers who can't who can't afford to sell their comics and or like for 99 cents or like people who have Kickstarter campaigns who can't afford to like, like print or put up a, a digital version. Well, and I guess like if there was an all digital world, then you wouldn't really need Kickstarters because you could just load your comp. Well, could you get it? But you got to sell it to like Comixology. You got to sell it to like one of the digital providers then, which means you need money. Yeah. But Comixology accepts a lot of things. (laughs) Comicsology accepts most things, um, but you're right. Um, yeah, but either way, like people are going to need to make that money somehow, and Kickstarter is a way to stand out from elsewhere. You know, whereas if it just goes up on Comicsology submit, like there's so much else on there. It's not like here's a campaign. Here is like a deep like like you can pick whatever. Uh, level of supporting it you want uh there's like big promotion behind it uh it, it there's a deadline uh so like you want to get your friends to do it so that it's funded by the goal like there's a lot going on in kickstarter where it helps things get funded where you wouldn't have that if a comic were just put on comicsology submit and a lot of the comics wouldn't even get made if they didn't have the funding in the first place yeah, and I guess too, like the the Kickstarter money goes to more than just actually printing the comic. Like it goes to paying paying the artist, paying the writer, um, like printing costs and like so many other things. Like you know, advertising. I guess if that's something that you're doing, um, 
yeah, I'm thinking very small minded, but I think, I think all of these issues are related. And I think a lot of it comes back to, I guess what, that question that you asked very, the be- at the very beginning, like when is, when is enough enough? Um, when is, when is having 99 cent collections on comiXology for long periods of time? Like when is that enough? Or when is uh, like, when is the, the problems of the direct market? Like when do we get to the point where we say that's enough? Mm-hmm. And um, when, when does Marvel's behavior with the digital start becoming predatory? That was the word I was looking for before. Right. Right. Yeah. When does, when does something like what Marvel's doing here become something that's not only a detriment to, to the direct market, a detriment to small publishers um, and a detriment to local comic book shops who um, like need a strong Marvel and a strong DC in order to like, in order to survive, like in order to, to live. Yeah, it is. Those are, those are like really serious questions that we, that we got to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we did some, uh, some thinking here. <laughs> We did about half an hour of thinking. I don't know if we got anywhere. Um, do you got any other any closing thoughts, Nick? Um, yeah, I guess just my personal experience, like with the vision. Uh, I missed that series when it first came out, but then I bought the trades physically. And then Amazon was having those like ridiculous sales. And I was like, I can get the whole thing for like two $2 and something. Like I'm going to get it digital. And then the director's cut hardcover came out and I was like, oh, but it's bigger. And there's like the scripts and like extra art and all those notes and stuff. And I was like, I want to get that too. Yeah. And so like I gave my friend the trades and then I got the hardcover and then the 99 cent sale happened. And I was like, well, I want the scripts in digital too. So, so then I bought it. I bought the director's cut in digital. So, I mean, Marvel yeah. is making money off of me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Um, yeah. I'm sure there are other people who are similar. Like maybe looking just from Marvel's perspective, if we're looking at it just in isolation, um, a lot of the stuff that they're selling, like we were saying, is stuff that people can get a lot of other places. So they might as well put it up and a whole bunch of idiots like me are going to go and spend a, like a bunch of money on these collections that they might not ever read. And either way, that's a sale that they wouldn't have had before. Um, that's true. But they're clearly not thinking about the whole market. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think like the experience that you're describing, like you bought, you didn't read this, you didn't read the single issues, but you bought the traits that's participating in diamond sales. And then you bought the hardcover um, which is also, you know, benefits the benefits the direct market, benefits local comic book stores. Unless you bought it on, well, you bought it on Amazon, so like, whatever. I buy, I mean, I buy most of my trades on Amazon and stuff too. And I don't, and again, like, I don't buy a lot of single issues from my local comic book shop. Like, I I pre-order them on Discount Comic Book Service and get them mailed to me because I get the I get pre-order bundles that are half off, and that's all. That's an entirely other issue because it's just cheaper. It's cheaper to consume as much of the things that I want to consume. Um, I do. Yeah, you can get uh, the like a physical copy and a digital copy because it comes with a physical copy of a Marvel comic for two dollars from uh, DCBS. But that's, yeah, that's a completely different topic. <laughs> but I think I think again, like it's interrelated. Like this whole thing is uh, like when is enough enough? That's the question. But then like 
I think I think the question and the question with a lot of different things is like, when do we need to be responsible for how we're consuming things? Um, and and I think like the way that you're describing having put, purchased all this finished vision stuff is a is a responsible way to do it. Like you bought all these things and then and now and now you have all these different formats for this book. Um, and I think I think part of this is we need to educate people about what what goes into how you purchase comics, like how you purchase comics from your local comic book store, how you purchase comics on Amazon, how you purchase comics from places like Barnes and Noble, how you buy things digitally um, and like where that money's going and who it benefits. And if it benefits the creators that you love and their ability to continue to, to, to make things like this, or if it benefits just, just Amazon or like if it benefits your local comic book shop that like gets to be a pillar of just like community and of nerd culture shit for like the people that need that. Um, yeah. And when you're, uh, when you're thinking of who benefits, you also have to think about who are you not allowing to benefit by making this choice? Sure. 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 It's hard. It's hard to think like that. It's hard. I think, I think people have a hard time imagining that they're doing any harm. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, Marvel is a business, so they don't, necessarily need to think about it <laughs> so they, no, they don't have to not. yeah right 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 oh man we we yeah we went off um <laughs> anyway nick i i appreciate you i appreciate this this was a fun little little segment um where can where can our peoples find you on the larger interwebs so you can find me on twitter at n palmary writes that is n p a l m i e r i the word writes with a W. With a W. With a W. With a W. <laughs> cool. And you can find you can find me on Twitter at kbgregory13. We're both also at multiversitycomics.com. Check out a number of other fun articles, long forums, news, reviews, previews of comics coming out. Um, and check out a number of the other podcasts from our website. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your other podcast place things and we'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode of make mine malls diversity until then uh ethically consume things okay thanks bye